Good morning, everybody. We are continuing our series on complete unity. And it struck me this uh, yesterday when I was while I was preparing. It's like, I wonder, maybe people think, why are we doing this uh, thing on unity? Something wrong? Is there disunity? <laughs> um, sometimes, uh, sometimes we try to address things in the church. Sometimes we try and address issues. And if you read the Paul's letters, for example, in the Bible, we can see that some of the churches that, they wrote, that he wrote to had some real issues. I mean, you can just read Corinthians. And you can see, oh my dear, was, uh, the church in Corinth, they had some problems, they had some issues. Not everything we, have to, everything we talk about and everything we do is because there's an issue. Uh, sometimes, you know, it is like in, we need to be alert, as the Bible says, and be careful so that things don't go off the rails. The train is on the track, it's chugging along merrily, nothing's actually wrong, but if we don't uh, make sure it stays on the track, then things could go wrong. And I think like, okay, um, do we have major unity issues in the church? No, I actually think Watford is a great example of, of a church where there's great unity. There's, uh, there's a great spirit of unity among the members, and um, we are able to talk openly and honestly about issues. There's a sense of a spirit of forgiveness and grace and great friendship and fellowship. And I haven't noticed disunity. So it's not like we're trying to address something. In the bigger picture, there are often issues with disunity between different congregations in a country or different denominations and um, especially leaders because they're in powerful positions sometimes have issues with their unity because there are people with strong opinions, especially strong leaders. Um, always good to focus on these things and keep an eye on it and Keep it in mind. Um, so I thought I'd just share that as a bit of background. Um, so there is, for example, uh, in the churches in the UK, there is uh, currently a process ongoing to th think about, okay, how can we strengthen our unity? What are some areas where we are not as unified as we would like to be? And what can we do about that? Um, you may have noticed, you may not have noticed at all, because you're happily just coming along here to Watford and life is great. Um, Anyway, so let's carry on. So last time, I think I need a new battery. There we go. Last time on, uh, when I spoke on, on unity, we talked about hands and feet, eyes and ears, and we talked about those quadrants and how different we are. And some are KH minus and some are KH plus, plus and KM minus, etc. We did that little survey um, and, and realized that even in our spiritual approach, to God and how we perceive God and how we live our spiritual lives, we are very different. Some are very rational and logical and disciplined. Others are more feeling-based and experience-based. And yet we can be united despite all those differences. And some are like ha hands, some are like feet, some are like noses, ears, some can smell, some can hear. Uh, some had COVID, they can't smell at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, some, uh, some can't hear at all, like our kids. Um, <laughs> but uh, and then, uh, I think in summary there, Proverbs 18 says, Fools find no pleasure in, fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. I think the important thing is for us uh, to create and maintain and keep on building unity is to, to really strive for understanding each other despite our differences and understanding how we can have a different spiritual journey and a different way we practice our spirituality. Right, so let's move on. And uh, that was hands and feet, eyes and ears. And let's move on to head and body. 
I'm not gonna do, let everybody do that song again, you know, heads and shoulders, knees and toes, and cut out bits and pieces. But, uh, you know, we have uh, hands, feet, all different parts of the body, and then we have the head. And let's start off and looking at the scripture in Colossians 1, verse 18. You'll see quite a few scriptures we're looking at today. I've inserted bits in bracket where he talks about he and him, just to make it clear. It's not like that in the Bible, but I just added it in there to make it clear what he's talking about, especially because I've taken it, the context out of it. Colossians 1, verse 18 says, And he, that's Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He, that's Jesus, is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he, that is Jesus, might have the supremacy. <clears throat> so clearly, the Bible sets the head <coughs> apart from all these other body parts. Now, it's interesting. Can our body parts kind of get by with each, uh, without each other? Yeah? Some of it. Like, for example, what? You can live without an arm and a leg. You can live without an arm and a leg, yeah. Yeah. If I only have a left hand, no, I'm right-handed. If I lose my right hand, I only have a left hand. I can actually learn to write with my left hand. It may not be as neat. Well, not that my right hand writing is neat at all, but <laughs> in fact, there may be no difference. But I can, I can learn to brush my teeth with my left hand and do all kinds of other things if I lose my right hand. If I lose my right foot, I can hop along on the left foot. I can, I can take a crutch. Um, I can live, apparently, with one kidney. A good friend of mine, a colleague, actually uh, donated, his wife donated her kidney to him when he had kidney failure. And they kind of lived together, each with one, uh, <laughs> with one kidney. Um, it's amazing what the body can, you know, different parts of the body can kind of get by without each other. But as far as I know, and uh, Penny is sitting right here to keep an eye on my truthfulness and scientific correctness, as far as I know, the body can't keep on living without the head. There's, in fact, there's very little your body can do without the head. In fact, I even think, like some things you don't consciously think about, like your heartbeat, your breathing, you know, it just kind of happens. But if you lose your brain, I think you stop breathing. Yeah. Or, and your heart stops, right. Your heart will keep going. Your heart will keep going? Yeah. Wow. But more slowly. More slowly, okay. But your, your breathing will stop. Your breathing will stop, okay. And I guess when your breathing stops, your heart will stop as well. Okay, so there you go. <laughs> so, um, you know, the body can't survive without, let's say, the head, if we think about the head as the brain. Um, in fact, the brain kind of governs the body. I've noticed that I can actually slow down my heartbeat just by thinking about it. It's actually possible to make yourself faint just by really focusing on it and doing some things. I'm not going to tell anybody now because you don't want to go, don't go and try this at home. But, but it is actually possible to do it with your, because our mind controls the body. If I pick up this clicker, it is because my mind tells the hand, hand, pick up the clicker, click the right button, click the left button. It doesn't just happen voluntarily. Our whole, our whole nervous system comes from the mind and then goes through the body. And the Bible says Jesus is the head of the body. So even though we are all different, different parts of the body, the head governs 
this body. And none of our body parts can do anything without the head. What does that have to do with unity? In Ephesians, I was reading through Ephesians, and I was kind of just looking for scriptures talking about the head and the body. And it starts off in Ephesians 1, verse 22 to 23. It says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him, that's Jesus, to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Basically says the same thing as in Colossians, that Jesus is the head of the body. But it's amazing how for the first time I noticed and actually paid attention how all the rest of Ephesians actually builds on this scripture. And sometimes, you know, we read scriptures and we don't see the connections. This is for me was the first time, I think, that I actually noticed it so much that, hang on, everything else that follows after this in Ephesians builds on this concept that Jesus is the head that governs the body. And the unity of the body is dependent on that fact that there is the head, Jesus, that fills everything in the body. So if we read on through Ephesians, we get to Ephesians 4, for example. In verse 15, he says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. Now here he talks about speaking the truth in love. We become the mature body. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So, for the body to build itself up, and for there to be unity in the body, it needs to be connected to the head. And it needs to be filled with the fullness of the head. He carries on in verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. So the unity we have in the body is all about how our relationships are in the body, how we treat each other in the body. With the, the mindset and the heart of Christ, with loving relationships. He mentions things like speaking the truth in love to one another. He mentions we need to put off falsehood. He carries on in verse 29. and says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. We find unity in the body if we treat each other like Christ would treat us. If we forgive each other like the head would forgive us. And all these things in Ephesians, it talks about our one another relationships. It talks about don't slander each other. Don't be malicious towards each other. 
be forgiving, be kind to each other. All of these one another relationships, it's about how the body is connected to each other and stays connected to the head. And where do things go wrong? Things go wrong when the body starts being disconnected to the head and starts behaving, starts doing its own thing. And starts doing things that's not under control of the head. And we see that sometimes, and again, if we go back to medicine, you know, sometimes we, we see things like some behaviors where the body kind of looks like it's doing its own thing. You know, you have a hand that kind of start, starts shuddering and things. It's like, hang on, what's wrong? And it's, it, it, it's connected back to a nervous problem, usually. That there's some problem with the nervous system that the body, the, the body starts following its own instructions instead of following the instructions of the head. And that's where things go wrong in our relationships and in our unity in the church as well, is if the body starts doing their own thing instead of following instructions of the head. And this whole concept of the body being connected to the head and through being connected to the head, the body stays wholesome and mature and starts growing and, and, and is healthy, follows through in the next chapters. This is about relationships in the body, in the church. In chapter 5, he pulls it through to marriage. and says for a marriage to work and for a husband and wife to be connected and to be uh, for that relationship to function well, they need to be connected to the head. And it, even, it says that the husband needs to give himself up for his wife as Christ, as the head of the church, gave himself up for the church. He follows that through with instructions in chapter 6 for parents and children, and then for masters and slaves. And effectively says that all relationships as Christians will function well and will be unified if they connect back to the head. And if we lose that connection to the head, that's where the unity tends to go wrong and tends to break down. And you can go and read the context around this, but, but Paul actually very strongly writes to the Colossians about um, what happens when the connection is lost. When the connection is lost, the unity is lost. In Colossians 2 verse 19, he says, they, those you know that have strayed off the path, they have lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Things go wrong when we lose connection with the head. Now if you think about yourself and your relationships, you can think about maybe your relationships with your children, or with your parents, or with your spouse, or with some friends, or your boss, or people who work with you. All these things covered in Ephesians. Or any of these relationships. If you think about the time when those relationships went wrong, and you think about, okay, can I see some disconnection there between myself or the other person and the head? And is there a connection between that going wrong and me losing connection with the head? If I think about it, I think about when, I mean, it almost never happens. How long have we been married, people? 30, whatever, for 34 years. 34 years, uh, but there are very rare occasions that we have an argument or a disagreement. If I think back to it and think like, hmm, why did that happen? It's like, and well, 
yes, we had some disagreement. I had some strong opinions. She had some strong opinions, whatever it was. The more, I, if every time I think back to it, I think, but hang on, that went wrong because I lost connection with the head. And I start thinking my own ideas and my own thoughts and my own heart and my sinful heart took over and I lost connection with the head. And because I lost connection with Jesus, that also meant that the unity in the relationship got damaged. And if you think through that, maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you think through, if you think about some relationships that don't go well or had some problems or there's disunity, maybe you can see the connection as well. That's the one situation, losing connection to the head. The other thing that Satan's unity is when you think you are the head. <laughs> you know, when you think like, hang on, I'm in control here. I'm the one calling the shots. I am the one that makes things happen. When the body, when the hand starts thinking, hang on, I'm the head, then things go wrong. And you know, that can happen in, in all kinds of relationships, like the ones in Ephesians, with our marriage, with our parenting, uh, at work, with friends. When we take over and think, I'm the head, then unity tends to break down. Um, I don't know who listens to this. Uh, it's great to have people online. I, I think there are some people online, are there? They are welcome. Thanks for listening in. Uh, I know it gets recorded. Malcolm puts it out there. Maybe, maybe there are some church leaders somewhere who occasionally listen. If they do, um, I do want to speak to them. Because often churches, this unity between churches it's got nothing to do with the people in the churches. Often it's between the leaders of the churches who start thinking that they are the head. And instead of being servant leaders, they become lordship leaders, lording it over the congregation. And they become the master and lording it over the flock and thinking like, in, yeah, I am the leader, therefore I am the head. And if any of those leaders, maybe somewhere are listening, I want to call you to repentance and please stop trying to be the head of the church. We have a head, that is Jesus. And start being part of the body that serves the church, like all the other parts of the body. Another thing that goes wrong with, uh, um, with unity, you know, this idea of like I am the head, is when we lose our connection with the head through placing our identity somewhere else. This is a, a cover from Time magazine. This is from 2013. It's called the Me, Me, Me generation. Yeah. You would have think, what is that? I think you thought like this more recent or? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, could have, it, it could have been last week's cover. <laughs> the Me, Me, Me generation. Um, this was 2013, it's about the millennials, and now they're like, you know, it's all about me, it's all about I, and it's all about I, 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 and me, me, me. In fact, there's nothing new under the sun. Um, I, I don't know what that generation, or maybe the, the new generation, think about being branded in that way, but I think this is just a human problem. Uh, it's as old as, as, you know, certainly as far as I can remember back, it's been an issue. When people find a too strong identity, in, in, in other things. I do believe we, we live in a time of identity crisis. 
and identity politics. Where, you know, you can kind of, you can choose your own identity. In what ways now can people kind of choose their own identity? <laughs> oh, what do you think? What? Oh, yeah, you can pick your own avatar. Yeah, yeah, you can put your, instead of being you uh, on Facebook or on Teams, or you can put an avatar there and say, oh, this is me. <laughs> um, yeah, at work, for example, people put their own icons on, on Teams. It's like, I wonder how this person looks. And sometimes I go into the office, it's like, hang on, that's not the, 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 what I saw on, on Teams. <laughs> you look so different. <laughs> yeah, people can pick their own gender. And it's like, and I am uh, a man. Uh, no, I am a woman today. I am non-binary. I'm not neither man nor woman. What, how, what other ways can people kind of pick their own identity? Apparently, you, yes, I think. You can choose what kind of animal you are. What kind of animal you are? Oh, that's it. You see, I haven't heard about that one, Neil. You can identify yourself by your sports team. It's a, uh, it's interesting. Yes, uh, you can change nationality. Yes, yeah. Share no choice. Now, this is an interesting thing. This whole idea of identity, it can be very strong in some people. And, and we even speak like that. Like you talk about changing nationality. It can cause a bit of an identity crisis even. Like I grew up in South Africa. I was born there. I left when I was about 27. But I was still considered South African. And people was like, where are you from? I, I am South African. And then I lived for six years in the Netherlands, and they were so kind to give me a Dutch passport. And I'm like, am I Dutch now? I actually had to write an exam that kind of tested whether I'm Dutch enough to get the passport. <laughs> you know, do I understand the culture? Do I uh, speak the language? Um, and, and I had this culture exam, which is actually really funny because about half the Dutch can't pass the exam because we're like, what really? Is that our culture? <laughs> um, but it's it's... People identify very strongly. My children struggle with a national identity because they were born in one country, grew up in another country, have two passports, speak three languages. They never lived in one place long enough to, to identify so strong with a nationality that they would say, like, I am South African, or I am British, or I am Dutch. My daughter was born here. She lived here until just when she went to infant school. Then two years in South Africa, then two years here again, then eight years in Namibia, six years in, in the Netherlands, and then since then here, uh, eight years here. She's got two passports, speaks three languages fluently, without any accent. And, and when people ask her, so what are you? She's like, I'm, I'm a citizen of the world. Her boss used to call her Lichelle from everywhere. From everywhere or anywhere. As Christians, 
it's important that we really understand what our real identity is. Because if we put our identity in anything other than Christ, it can threaten our unity. We saw it in the early church. If you go and read through Galatians, in the early church, there was the Jews and the Gentiles. And there was two very strong identities. Christians who identified first as Jew and secondly as Christian. And Gentiles who's like, an, I'm a Roman and then I'm a Christian. Or I'm a Jew and then I'm a Christian. And Paul had to deal with this and address it. And he writes to them in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. Paul's I, 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 me, me, me scripture. And he says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the kind of I, I, me, me statement that should really define our identity. As Christians, our identity should be in the head. That is Christ. That is my primary identity. I'm first a Christian and then a South African Dutch. I'm first a Christian and then a Blue Bulls rugby supporter. I am first a Christian and then a whatever, Arsenal supporter or Manchester or whatever your team is supporter. I'm first a Christian and then I'm a European or a white person or a black person if that's important to you or a mixed race person or an Indian person or, or maybe it doesn't matter at all what that other secondary identity is because if you really died the day you got baptized like Nana last week the old Nana died he's in that river in fact he's probably down in the Thames and out in the sea by now, <laughs> that old nana. All that old identity, which used to be, you know, Ghanaian nana. That Ghanaian nana is out in the North Sea or the Atlantic Ocean somewhere. There's now only Christian nana. When I died in the water of baptism, the South African Stefan died. There's now only Christian Stefan. And it's when we pull back some other identities that becomes more important to us than identity in Christ, that things in our unity go wrong. I'm not going to go through all of this. Uh, it's a good study on its own. Uh, to go and study out about what our identity in Christ really means. Uh, if you want to, I'll send this to you afterwards. But very briefly, there are kind of three areas of identity. Um, things like, I am accepted. My identity in Christ means I am accepted. There's a list of scriptures there, things like, you know, I'm God's child, I'm loved, I'm a friend of Jesus, I'm justified, I'm united with Christ, I've been bought at a price, I belong to God, I'm a member of His body, I've been chosen, I've been adopted, I've been redeemed, I've been forgiven, I am complete in Christ, I have direct access to God, I am accepted. That is my identity. I am secure. I am free from condemnation. I am assured I cannot be separated, I have been established, I've been anointed, I am hidden with Christ in God, I am confident, I am a citizen of heaven, I have been given the spirit of power, the spirit of love, I am born of God, that is where I find my security, not in my race, not in my nationality, not in my language, not in my sports team, 
or whatever else I may find I do. That's where my security is. That's where my identity is. I am significant because I am a branch of Jesus the vine. I have been chosen. I have been appointed. I am God's temple. I have been seated with Jesus. I am an ambassador of God. I am a minister of reconciliation. I am God's workmanship. I may approach God. I can do all things. That should be our identity. That's the thing that makes me feel important. That makes me feel significant, secure, and accepted. And if that's our identity, then that is what will unite all of us. Because we all find our identity in the head, in Christ, and in nothing else that's different between, between any of us. And it makes us different. We're going to have um, communion now. And when we have communion, you know, we have been reconciled through this, the dead head. When the head died uh, on the cross, back to where we started in Colossians 1, in the Watford Word, uh, Malcolm did a great little piece on the context of that verse 18. Uh, from Colossians 1, verse 15 to 20. Uh, I encourage you to go and read it. Um, It's really helpful to understand how the fact that Jesus is the head, it's not just he's governing his body. He's not just the leader of the church. It is the complete supremacy of Jesus that gives us our identity. In verse 19 of Colossians 1, it says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that is Jesus, the head, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. As we have the communion, let's think about the fact that when Jesus died on the cross, it was not just to be reconciled to God. It was not just for the forgiveness of our sins. It was so that we could be united with him in in the body. And that he could become our head. And so that we could be connected to the head through his blood that was shed on the cross.